Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, a week has gone by, and uh, I'm moving now in back into PySpark. Um, I'm looking at uh, consumer ratings. Uh, consumer ratings are interesting. Uh, it's probably made famous by Amazon. Um, at one time, I was a top 600 reviewer in the world, and uh, there were, it was phenomenal how many books I had to read and review to get to that that level. Um, but I positioned myself there, and and until Amazon changed the rules about uh, requiring you to read the book purchase the book and in order to do the review uh, my reviews were on, on lots of different subjects and then I decided for uh, some strange reason that I didn't want to uh, be have so many books I'd read on AI so I took a lot of those books and I I removed the, the reviews on the AI portion uh, but I did keep the robotics section, and and uh, so I have still some of those reviews out there. But I'd read uh, oh well over maybe fifteen hundred books or so, and uh, I'll tell you it was very enjoyable to read uh, and hear other people's ideas uh, in in books and and to think about the the issues and, and so forth and. I think that's what's happening with data is that uh, you know we're you're you're getting access to more data and uh, and starting to analyze it. Well, now when you have something as big as an Amazon, where there's you know I don't know how many products that they have on their on their uh, catalog, but uh, you know suppose let's just take a hypothetical company X and. Uh, Company X has uh, a million products that it's, it it sells online, and, and uh, customers or consumers are writing reviews about those those products, and uh, and uh, that becomes uh, uh, something that uh, can be analyzed. So, in the one that I was looking at is airlines. And uh, it was pulling the information from, uh, it looked like 2012 to about 15. And uh, uh, it, it had, uh, as part of its features, was a rating uh, and a recommended. So they had two, two uh, interesting indicators. And then they had a third indicator, which was value. And value is really an interesting thought because you know what what makes uh, what makes something valuable if I need to get from uh, point A to point B and I get on an airline my value uh, ratings would uh, would be uh, could be pretty high if that was my only fact consideration for for movement between two locations is this speed and duration or dur duration I guess of of, of the flight to get from point that destination location. Uh, 
And so if time were the only factor, then I would look for uh, flights and, that, and, uh, and look at their durations. And we have looked at that in uh, PySpark originally. I was talking about the, uh, some of the data sets that I was analyzing using the PySpark. And, uh, and they were looking at uh, destination and origination and then duration in the air. And they weren't necessarily looking, uh, they were just trying to predict what uh, the durations might be. And, uh, and then they were looking at what the classifier coefficients were, were predicting the probability for the durations between uh, the origination and the destination. Which is phenomenal that you can extract that from the model. And then the same thing is true of, of like uh, the price. So they were, you know, if you factored in the pricing, uh, you could also calculate probabilities between uh, origination and destination. And then, and then based on that, the AI could, uh, or the machine learning could predict, uh, given a local two locations and uh, and then filtering down on the list of possible carriers that you could uh, uh, fly on uh, what the probability of the price would be and the probability of the duration so that's that's really helpful in that sense and so the you know the data was put on the on the cluster and uh, and uh, then it was the big data was being analyzed. Well, now when we look at consumer ratings, these are things that uh, you know there might be a, some feedback where the customer wants to uh, let others know how their their experience was. So customer experience that's part of marketing. Marketing wants to you know tout that they, you know they have a certain level recommended uh, and. Uh, Maybe other carriers are smaller and don't have quite the brand or loyalty, but they want to they want to tout the ratings, how well uh, the satisfaction of the experience was. Maybe they provided an in-flight meal. Uh, they had big seat, you know, seating arrangement was nice they, because they use Airbus, and, and that's one thing I noticed about Airbus is that. Uh, they they had lots of room and um, and I don't know that seemed like there was a trade off between uh, spaciousness and uh, fuel efficiency. So maybe uh, some of the flights you know that are are where space is, is very tight, uh, fuel efficiency is better because you have less weight. But then on the other hand, you could have a, a a large, um, a large plane, and uh, used you know very efficient technology for the turbines, and uh, get better fuel efficiency. Even though you have a large plane and it's carrying lots of weight. Uh, so that, anyway, there's a number of factors that come into value, and uh, and uh, so that that's different. Value is different from ratings. So the ratings are overall, what's my satisfaction? And where value
value is uh, how much did this flight help me to make money? I think that's really what value is. is you know, did I did I get did I did I get to my destination in time enough to go to my meeting, and uh, did that meeting uh, result by me being there properly? Uh, to meet with a customer did that equate to some monetary value and you might say well what about uh, vacationing you know well maybe the value on this is it takes uh, maybe 30 hours to drive there so you calculate how many uh, dollars uh, in lost revenue you would have due to driving where you could be working so you calculate, you know, possible number of work days uh, lost due to, to driving, and then uh, and then subtract the cost of the airline uh, less the cost of, of the fuel for driving or wear and tear, and that maybe become your value. So again, value I would say is different from ratings. I would say value largely is. Uh, measured in some sort of monetary uh, monetary amount. Well, then what is recommended? How can you have a lower rating against one carrier and another and yet have a higher uh, recommended? Well, I think that goes back to brand. That you have larger carriers have brand recognition. Now, uh, Toyota, for example, they had very good brand recognition uh, through the 80s and 90s. But when the 2000s hit, brand was still important, but it was not as dominant because the competition was establishing brand. And so that competition was Hyundai. And Hyundai, uh, around 2008, made big strides forward in their innovation and their style and, the, and their approach. And they were no longer these cheap cars uh, with low quality, but they were well-engineered, high-quality cars. Not as high-quality, in my opinion, as Toyota, but they had closed the gap. And so I still recommend when people ask me what car to buy, I recommend Toyota. However, I do acknowledge the fact that Hyundai has closed the gap and I do enjoy uh, riding in a, the Hyundai vehicles, especially because of the engineering. Uh, I like the, the power. Uh, I like the, the feel of the vehicle. I like the uh, high-tech attributes such as driver assist where you can look in the mirror and it'll tell you uh, if there's a person or a car uh, over in this case would be a car in your blind side so you may not see them and it's detecting there or when you're backing up the rear view cameras and uh, alerts that there's a car approaching from the side and then also uh, lane departure you know it can be watching the lanes and then if you're moving uh you know too far off the lane it alerts you there 
or if you're approaching another car too fast it'll slow down uh, on its cruise control and then once that car moves out of your way it's you speed up these are really nice features that um, are added by high tech now can they make mistakes yeah i think they can make mistakes i think like anything there there is always the possibility of error but uh that, you know, the, my experience has been that they've been more of an asset than a liability. So, I, you know, it's not like I, I'm afraid to turn on the driver's assist or be in a car with driver's assist. It's not driving the vehicle. It's just assisting the, the driver. And when we were in town, it was really nice city driving because uh, there was lots of road construction and the technology was, uh, was activated and, uh, the driver didn't see a car to his right, and he started moving over, and the driver's assist alerted him that the, there was a the car there, and uh, that he was able to speed up and avoid a collision. So these, uh, that, that would then change my loyalty to, or my recommendation maybe, to Toyota. It's still pretty, I still think I would vote Toyota if I was giving a recommendation because of the, just the, the engineering quality of the vehicles. And uh, I've, most of my vehicles I've drove that are Toyota go over 300,000 miles. So I'm very satisfied with their engineering. And the, the maintenance costs have been very low. So uh, when I look at, uh, uh, when I look at, uh, Airlines and the recommendation, you know, what would be the factors of why they like to recommend it? Maybe they just like the, the number of locations that the carrier can fly to. Maybe they like the, uh, the rates. Uh, they find the rates are, are very competitive and, uh, you know, like Southwest, I like their rates. Uh, other of my colleagues like Delta because you know it's a it, they feel like it's more professional more business-like they get uh, bonus points and there's lots of uh, incentives if you're a frequent flyer uh, like you can get maybe upgrade to first class where in Southwest there isn't a first class you just sit uh, in your side seat and uh, and so, you know, there is boarding. Boarding is by, you know, by seat number. Uh, so I guess in some ways, uh, maybe you get a little bit faster time to get in your seat, get situated, and a little bit faster time to get off the plane and uh, moving towards your destination. Well, my wife is flying Cal Calcoon, and so she'll be... Uh, uh, on these uh, flights and it'd be interesting to find out how her experience is whether she enjoyed uh, her flight or you know if there were complications if they lost her luggage or things like that you know those are always uh, factors that can affect your experience well and uh, <clears throat> you know we uh I guess I could have gone with her, but I, I, uh, 
I just didn't have the feel that I needed to go. But uh, it uh, is real interesting when it comes to consumer ratings because, you know, is, is the, I guess you would ask the question, is the rating for the company or is the rating for the consumer? Well, now I would say it's both because if I were uh, planning to go on a vacation and I had the choice of multiple carriers that I could, could travel on, I might look at the one that has the best reliability, best success, you know, least, uh, least uh, delays or, or layovers. Um, maybe I'd want to know that data up front before I made my choice, my selection. You know, right now consumers don't have that that data available to them, so they rely on the, the uh, customer reviews to measure quality. When they hear of a bad experience, that might inhibit them from selecting that carrier. I know when I go to a restaurant, if I haven't been in that area, I read the reviews, and if I read any really negative reviews about that restaurant, I won't, I won't go there. Uh, but if I see, you know, a strong consumer rating and it looks good, then I'm, uh, then I'm, you know, more inclined to select that that restaurant to go eat eat at. And then I like, you know, and then it's kind of like the Delta. They've been around for a long time. They've got established a good brand. They've got good performance. And uh, you know, when you're a businessman and you're flying. You don't want to have delays. You want to make sure that uh, you get to your destination on time. And so that performance is really critical. So you want to make sure that the, the company is maintaining their planes. They don't have uh, equipment failures and, and uh, you know, factors that could cause disruption, like if there's labor disputes or, uh, you know, the company is not making money, so they're, they're cutting costs and that's affecting quality. Those type of factors have to be considered uh, in selection of a, <clears throat> which, which carrier to fly on. But if you don't have access to that data, then you rely on the overall group or the crowdsource experience as your summary of the data. So, you know, you hope that overall the group, uh, the wisdom of the group prevails, that their experience is a, is a reflection of the summary of all that data. And so you may not need to look at, uh, you know, all these factors and features but instead you would look at uh, one factor maybe, which is the rating, or you would look at the value factor uh, to measure whether or not you want to take a risk in a business flight to save some money maybe, but at the same time, uh, there might be a trade-off in terms of the performance that maybe one carrier's 
performance has been better than another. Well, and then during uh, and during hike, when fuel costs become expensive, then airlines uh, become expensive, and uh, and so you know the profit margins are decreasing. And, and that has an impact on small, smaller airlines. So, you know, there's, uh, the, there's, you know, the discounting used to stay competitive may start to dry up. And so that could also affect your decision. Well, there's lots of factors when it comes to flying. You know, I, uh, uh, I know that when my daughters flew, flew in, internationally at some of the airports for business people they have lounges where you can go uh, sit and uh, you can watch TV and uh, and if it's a long flight even uh, in the airports they have showers and uh, a place where you can sleep because that's always a, a, a sometimes you have these delays and you're sitting on these hard benches, and they're not very comfortable, and uh, and you don't you know you don't have time to really go to a hotel and get back on time so you can make your flight out. <clears throat> so uh, they accommodate to the, the, the to businessmen, and so she had met someone in uh, Korea in South Korea when she was on her route uh, home from uh, Thailand and they were because very friendly and let her uh, they had a place where she could she could rest and she did and that was a very nice gesture so she's a great great person my daughter and she likes to travel and she likes to meet people and she's non-judgmental and not nearly as critical as I am I, I think I think I'm more, much more critical of people than she is and uh, and you know she likes to go have these uh, wonderful experiences with people and uh, when she was at BYU she traveled abroad and I, I was always we always got kind of a a, a lot of joy in uh, learning through her what some of the culture was like and seeing the people and she uh, went and worked in an orphanage and she held little babies and she you know, worked there and then years later she raised money and she went took uh, went back to the orphanage and she brought uh, you know things that the kids needed clothes toys uh, books and I encouraged her to go back uh, again and establish a library. And I wanted to, you know, raise money and buy books for the kids because uh, I feel like reading is a critical skill in order to gain uh, upper mobility. And so if the children would learn how to read, then they could learn engineering, they could learn science, they could learn social skills, they could learn um, business. But if you don't know how to read, 
and learn concepts in a world of high tech, uh, I feel like you're going to be very lost. Because you got to be able to read documentation, you got to be able to uh, understand concepts, and you have to understand theory. Anyway, so th that was my reasoning for a library, is I felt like that it would be something that would be long-term and very beneficial. Uh, she felt like that the kids had plenty of books and they didn't need a, a big library there. But, uh, so she felt like that there wasn't a uh, need, so she wasn't really that interested in promoting that idea. Well, <clears throat> so uh, PySpark, why is it important? Well, they say that PySpark is not to be used for small amounts of data, but you know it's used for large data lake types of data where you're you're ingesting lots of data, and uh, you know you use the you use this SQL to extract out the data that you're interested in, transform it. And then you can build uh, machine learning pipelines that uh, analyze and classify the data. And then you can use uh, uh, Tableau or, Pi or Power BI to do your visualizations. And so the, the PySpark uh, pipeline is very important for analyzing large amounts of data and looking for patterns. I don't think we really under, uh, appreciate the power of computing until we can analyze something that's being collected in real time, large amounts of, of real time data, and then uh, finding out what is happening in the data and then making decisions uh, based on behavior found in the data. Then we will realize the power of computing. And I've seen this before with once a manufacturing company, or a, it was a um, agricultural company, excuse me, the sugar company. I saw how two factors, two variables, two features transformed that company because they could get their information in real time. It was very interesting to watch that uh, transformation. And so that became my new mantra is, real time means better decisions. Well now I would say with data lakes, you know, you still have to go through your machine learning pipeline and so forth. Why PySpark? Well, how long would it take using traditional PCs to analyze all that data. You know, you don't have, <clears throat> you have a certain number of cores on a PC, <clears throat> whereas on a, on a big server like a, a Apache server, you could have thousands of cores. And so then the problem uh, can be more discretized and the clusters that work together to perform certain tasks 
and they then bring those tasks together to the manager and uh, and could exponentially reduce the amount of time to produce information that the business decision makers can use. So again, it, it uh, is scale, scalable and it brings the uh, data quicker to the business owners. And uh, so that's very important, you know, because I, I was uh, starting to look at uh, balance sheets, you know, this is the, just an off topic, but, you know, looking at for, forecasting and balance sheets and income statements. And it's, you know, and I've said before, the world works on account receivable, account payable, and those are your creditor debitors uh, on your balance sheet. So you have a creditor and a debitor on your balance sheets um, that uh, represent, you know, uh, money owed and money to be paid and uh, or money that people need to pay you and money you need to pay uh, suppliers or vendors and uh, so the balance sheet income shows you you know how you're how you're doing with your your sales versus expenses but those those receivables uh, are recorded as an income or a revenue but you have not yet received that as a form of an asset so that you'll have an asset, uh, you have a liability and an asset. Uh, so that is a pending asset uh, that's gonna arrive in. And uh, even though it's, it's shown on that balance sheet. And so <clears throat> once the, the receivable is received, then you're gonna, you're gonna uh, zero out that z receivable and then you're gonna get uh, cash. So things are moving in a state you can say think of it uh, money as flowing from one state to another um, so it's in a creditor state where things are owing to it and you're in a debitor state and then once uh once those uh, uh assets are realized like it becomes real cash then uh and then you uh, you you can look at your real value of your company See, if you had a company that was worth $1,000 and, uh, you know, you had some equipment that, you know, you could sell that was worth $1,000, that would be maybe your book value. But uh, let's say you had uh, some income, revenue on your income statement, and it's showing that you had uh, $100 coming in an in income, uh, but then you... Uh, you have it's all receivable there's no cash yet so you send out your invoices and then you're waiting for that cash to come in once the cash comes in you go take that and deposit it into the bank and your receivable now the open amounts on your receivable are now zero so you can trace you it's kind of a fluid state you know where you're uh, what money, what work's been done, what can be billed, and uh, what is 
received. And so the accounting systems have different fields that allow you to track that information or allow you to track that state of uh, balance between what is owed and what is paid. The same is true like when you might go create a purchase order, you know, uh, you're authorized, you're, it's like a contract, a purchase order is a contract. So you're, uh, uh, you're, you're forming a contract and between the two parties and, and then it's agreed upon and then you're receiving uh, service like either a product or, um, or some work done. And in exchange for that, you promise to pay later uh, in a certain, based on the payment terms, the full amount. So within, the, let's say, net 30, within 30 days, you promise to pay that amount. And it, if you don't pay that amount, it either is written off uh, as a bad contract or uh, you lose you lose a discount, so like they maybe they have a little incentive. If you pay within 30 days, you get a, a 10% discount. So they'll they'll mail you back, uh, you know, 10%. But I, I, you know, that's all depends on the, those that, that relationship on those payment terms. Uh, but when you when you look at it, the income statement and the balance sheet then become these really important. Uh, documents for the company for the company to analyze how they're doing so what I'm getting at is that the decision makers use the financials to measure performance but it's hard sometimes in a day-by-day -day analysis let's say to know where your company is what is the state of the company's well-being financial well-being at any given point you know, maybe at certain times there's lots of uh, account payables, and uh, you know you have also a large amount of receivables. So you have money going out, money coming in. And it reminds me of a of a professor once I took uh, had a lot of respect for him. Uh, didn't do real well in his macroeconomics course, but uh, had a lot of respect for the course that I did well in. And he, the way he described it is, it's like an inner tube. You, you have some guy who's pumping air into the, the inner tube, but at the same time, the air, inner tube has a kind of a slow leak or a leak, and uh, and uh, it's uh, that's your expenses. So money is flowing out. You have to buy uh, goods. There's a certain cost of goods to build your product, you know, so we can separate expenses into cost of goods, things that are required to build a product, uh, from administrative or operational expenses, and that comes down into your net income, so you use that to calculate your net income, uh, so you subtract your gross uh, profits, you subtract your operating expenses and administrative expenses interest expenses and so forth uh, from the uh, gross profit. Now swinging back to balance sheet, balance sheets are easy. Assets equals liabilities minus owner equity. 
And so the owner equity is basically capital. And uh, your assets are things like cash and your uh, equipment. Liabilities are things like your loans and, uh, and the debtor where you have uh, accounts payable. So receivables are an asset. And uh, then you have liabilities like taxes and expenses so really when you look at uh, the flux of things in a company uh, you know maybe it doesn't make sense to study financials every day to see where your company is because things are you know being batched up and you know things are, are uh, in a certain cycle and uh, you know it's difficult to know where you'll end up. So you know, a lot of times you're, you're, you're trying to project where you will end up at the end of the year and uh, whether you'll be net positive or net negative. So the rule of business is if you stay net positive in your income, then you can stay in business. So your net income, if you're net positive, you can stay in business. That means that your, your income exceeds your expenses. And, uh, and so, you know, the era of just-in-time inventories became more critical because inventories were, were uh, they're expensive. They're not necessarily producing any uh, product. They can be used in, in the product uh, building. So you have, you know, you'll have to uh, you have reorder points in your inventory. So once... Uh, inventory is depleted that it, it uh, needs to be reordered so that it, you know you, you take cash and or you uh, create a, a purchase order and you, you uh, make a purchase of that equipment and then you uh, uh, make a payment after a certain bill cycle you make a payment on, on the debt that's owed so you uh, reduce down cash. But let's say you don't have enough cash uh, on hand because you're, you're still waiting for those receivables to come in. Then you may have to go to a bank and borrow money for the operation of your company. So you borrow that money, uh, pay for your accounts payables, and then when the receivable money comes in, then you pay your, your loan money. So... You have to remember that you have that loan out there and you don't go spend that income thinking that you have this income coming in and now you're you're rich. Uh, you, you may not be rich at that point because you have high uh, amounts of loans. And so that's the game that a lot of times the companies are playing is that their, their uh, operational expenses are covered by loans from the bank. So then the bank becomes this element of smoothing. The only thing I dislike about that aspect is there's uh, the factor of interest. So the, the, you have these cash flow uh, uh, ups and downs, but uh, there's an expense 
tied to the borrowing of that money. So that um, that cost then uh, reduces the amount of profit that a company can realize. And so uh, as interest rates get higher, that narrows that profit margin down, makes it more difficult for uh, companies to earn earn uh, uh, a profit. So uh, anyway, yeah, that's just some stuff that I've been thinking about on financials. Did a lot of work with financials. Uh, not a genius at it. I don't have a, a degree in accounting. But I had to think about what the data was trying to say. So, you know, when you get into the financial data, think about what the data is saying, not just so much about what field to look up and put on a report, but what is it trying to do? What were they trying to do? Why did they have, uh, you know, different states that they were capturing data at? And why was that important? You know, you have your purchase order amounts. You know, why don't you have just one centralized entity that's called amount? But, you know, it's to show that you have different states that things could happen. Because, you know, the final payment amount may be different from the purchase order amount, depending on if you capitalize on the discount, uh, if there were returns, like, you know, you received the product, but you were dissatisfied with it, so you returned it. Um, so that could void out the, the purchase order. Um, Maybe, maybe there was uh, that they didn't have the the you made the purchase, but they didn't have the product on hand. So then now, now you're uh, in need of a product, and uh, and uh, so you're you know not willing to pay until you receive the product. Well, again, this has been an interesting conversation. Um, and hopefully you're enjoying your machine learning. It's tough out there. But I'll tell you, I, I really uh, feel like the, uh, the way to go is, uh, is large data analysis and getting into uh, things like uh, PySpark and big data and then uh, beginning to analyze what all that means uh, in terms of, uh, of, uh, of the uh, possibilities for understanding data. It's all about understanding. Understanding and then once you understand how you uh, about how to communicate what you understand. And then also, you know, there has to be ways to prove what you understand is valid. All right, until next week, happy coding.